This is episode number 142 with Angela Duckworth. New concepts and ideas to help you reach your full potential. Success 101 Podcast. Welcome to the Success 101 Podcast. This is your host, Jared Warren. In each episode, my goal is to bring you a new concept or idea to help you maximize your full potential. Thanks for joining me here today. Now let's kick things off. Hey guys, welcome back to the Success 101 podcast. As always, this is your host, Jared Warren. I'm so excited to be here with you guys today as we dive into the science of grit with my good friend, Angela Duckworth. This is one that I have waited for quite a while to be able to bring to you guys. And though I get excited about all of my podcast guests, I am thrilled to bring this episode on grit to you guys today because I think so many of my listeners out there in the high activity peak performance roles that you're in each day can really gain a huge understanding of grit and use that to power you forward in the new year. Thank you guys also for your continued support on the Success 101 podcast with your comments, your suggestions, and your downloads as the Success 101 podcast has now been heard in 86 countries, and I cannot wait to see what 2017 brings our way. I also wanted to take a moment to highlight a good friend of mine that I made this week named Sarah Chun-Hoon out in California, who wrote me and said, Hey, Jared, my name is Sarah. I've been listening to your podcast and I've been very inspired. I'm waking up 15 minutes earlier every day and I'm writing each night in my gratitude journal. I wanted to leave you a quick note and let you know the impact you've had on me so far. And that just seems like a short, simple, quick note that Sarah sent my way. But for anybody running a podcast, they would tell you that notes like that mean so much. I don't expect things like that, but just talking into a microphone each week, seeing thousands upon thousands of downloads come in each month, and then hearing from one of those voices come back in on an encouraging word like that means more than you guys know. And so many of you have been great about sending good feedback and thoughts, guest suggestions, ideas. But just a quick and simple note like that out of the blue means so much. Sarah, I will be sending out a copy of my book, From Success to Significance. And I hope my book shows you the framework to just absolutely crush the new year with new habits, thoughts, ideas, and a framework you're going to put into your life that will last a lifetime. Thank you so much for your comment. And I'm so honored to get my book out into your hands. So let's dive into our conversation today with Angela Duckworth. For those of you out there who may not know who Angela is, she is the world's leading authority on the science of grit. So I want to ask you guys today, what is grit? What is that word in your mind? Is it something that's a cliche? Is it something that's just a funny word that gets thrown around? What she would tell you is, is it's the combination of intense passion plus intense perseverance toward a long-term goal that matters to you. This book is full of stories about grit and grit examples as she walks us through the key aspects of what the word really means and even teaches us how we can cultivate grit in our own lives and in the lives of those we are leading. I can't overstate enough, guys, that this is one of those books, especially right here at the end of the year, getting ready to go into the new year, that is an absolute must read if you're thinking about attacking the year with the activity, the production, the peak performance, the maximum potential, everything that we talk about on this podcast, understanding grit and understanding the concept of why Angela is so passionate about this 
will absolutely take you to new levels this next year. A few ideas that you'll hear us talk about and that you'll read further about if you go and get the book is the idea of beast, the science of grit, and my personal favorite, that if you want grit, we've got to remember that effort counts twice. You'll hear the formula in there today, which is talent times effort equals skill, but we have to take that a step further if we're going to accomplish our goals and know that skill times effort actually equals achievement. So keep in mind there, guys, effort counts twice. There are certain people out there that are born with natural talents that are a little above yours, possibly, or they have a wiring in a certain way that makes them think about things a little differently. But make no mistake about it, Angela would tell you that effort has to count twice in the equation. Talent is not enough. Skill is not enough. Either one of those without effort will not take us to the achievement levels that we would like to get to. As I mentioned, Angela has dedicated so much of her time and effort and passions toward understanding grit and helping to bring that information out to us and has even designed her own grit scale that you can go and take. Just look in the show notes for the link there. I want you guys to really listen in on this episode and think about how to grow your own grit, the four psychological assets around what grit is, which is interest, practice, purpose, and hope, how we can use grit in order to implement more wise parenting tactics, and how the concept of grit can be understood and formulated in your own life to take you to unbelievable levels that you might not be applying yourself toward today. So without any further delay, let's jump right into my conversation with Angela Duckworth. Angela Duckworth, good afternoon. What an honor it is. Welcome to the Success 101 podcast. How are things? Things are fine. I'm delighted to be here. I'm so glad to have the opportunity to have you on and absolutely can't say enough how much I loved your book because I know there's just a ton of people in my social circle and in just the circles that I study in who have mentioned your book over and over. In fact, I've had people email me asking if I could get you on the podcast. So without stealing any of your story or your thunder here today, I'd love for you to start as far back as you want to go. You know, and I hope this sounds okay coming through, but I would just say for a female your age, many people probably wouldn't consider grit to really be the path that you would be passionate about and including your studies and go down. So I'd love to hear what the motivation was behind leading you to where you are today and how you got to the amazing work that you're doing right now. I got started in psychology because I wanted to figure out a problem. And the problem was how do you get kids to do the things that you know, and I think at some level they know, are going to set them on a, a terrific path in life. And obviously kids take different paths. I don't think um, that was the point that, you know, necessarily all the students I taught as a math teacher and and that's the context in which a lot of my curiosity grew. I was a math teacher in public schools in New York City, San Francisco, ultimately, um, or most recently, I guess, uh, in Philadelphia. And I saw these kids who I knew, and at some level or in some way I think they knew, could be on a path to a happy, productive life, um, but weren't. And so I entered psychology really to answer the question of why. And as you point out, many people are uh, close to fulfilling their potential, and it must be a solvable problem. So in the now it's 14 years since I've you know made that move in the 14 years uh, that I've been training as a psychologist, 
I am increasingly convinced that uh, there is so much that people can do. And, and actually, uh, conversations like this and research of the kind that I do, I really do think it meaningfully advances us. And it's not just uh, rehashing things that we already um, intuitively know. Absolutely. And I was just blown away by how much your book opened up my mind to this concept that I would say, honestly, some people might think is cliche. They think it's a buzzword. Just this whole idea of grit in the business world or the learning world today. I think a lot of people hear that word. Maybe even they use that word in their day to day life, but it just kind of goes in one ear and out the other. I would love for my listeners to know what you think the true definition of grit in today's time is and why some people might be misusing it out there as this cliche or just kind of so-so word that really doesn't have a lot of meaning to it. Well, I think anything can be cliche, and you have to wonder why things are cliche. Well, part of the reason why they're cliche is people keep repeating them. <laughs> That's and right. Them, you know, to, but why do people repeat things? Oftentimes, they're just true. And I will be the first to admit that studying hard work or just the idea that working hard and working long and consistently in a direction is key to success. Maybe not a guarantee that you'll be successful, but necessary to be successful. So that's an old idea, right? And it goes back to as far back as you want to start reading. But I think what's potentially new and I hope doesn't fall on deaf ears is, you know, the idea that when you see uh, the one kid in the class who's really resilient and stays focused or, you know, the one player on the team who comes early, stays late, that you don't think, well, you know, it's going to be one kid out of many, one player out of many. I think the, the hope is that you could just figure out what that kid or that player is doing and then you could copy it and become grittier yourself if you want to. So talk to me about where the future you think of people's education and learning is now that more awareness has been brought out, thankfully, by your book. I mean, I think there's probably a lot of people that responded and, and related to a lot of the things in your book. But people like me that thought they knew what grit was or hard work or whatever phrase you want to put in there really had my mind open and, and expanded. Where do you think maybe this study of the science behind grit and how people's mind work toward true peak performance, where do you think that's going over the next, let's just say the short term, over the next five to 10 years? So I think that uh, the major discoveries in behavioral science, if you want to call it that, or psychology, um, that's the field I identify with most. I mean, they've been really exciting and accelerating over the last several years. There is one last frontier, which is you know, though we know how to change people's attitudes and change their behavior, oftentimes the problem is that the individual sort of relapses into old habits or old attitudes. And I think the new frontier for me is, you know, how do we make these things stick? So if I can make a kid optimistic and confident, but I come back four months later and, you know, they're now discouraged again, you know, to me, it's both a challenge that is daunting, but also the fact that we were able to make short-term gains gives me hope that if we could just figure out like what went right, then we can figure out how to prolong it. Right. I would say my demographic, this might be helpful as well, is I know so much of your work is with children and, and kids. And obviously those children and kids have to grow up at some point and they become adults. If I'm really speaking to my listener base, which I have a wide demographic, it's going to be some anywhere between the ages of 22 all the way up to 65, very highly active people, coaches, athletes, business executives, financial advisors like myself. The word grit when you're coaching to children may look and probably does look much different than it does whenever I'm coaching my financial advisors or other coaching clients that I have that I coach personally. How would you say that they're different and how would you say that they're similar when dealing with children versus adults? And how does that maybe impact them as they're growing up versus maybe some of the ruts that we've gotten in today that we, we all need to get out of as far as working toward grit and doing that in a better way? 
You know, I think that there are uh, more uh, similarities than there are differences. For example, when I give talks to uh, leaders, I, you know, I'm thinking about talks that I've given at West Point recently or um, in a corporate context, you know, Fortune 100 company. Uh, it's almost funny to me that though the topic of the conversation is supposed to be about just the professional circumstances, I mean, if there's one parent in the room, you know, immediately the conversation goes to kids, usually their own kids, right? And I think the it's not a digression, right? Because if you think about what you want for your kids, uh, that's the same thing as even if you're 23 and you don't have any kids, you know, these are the same challenges you have. How do I be my best self? What am I doing here? Uh, why do I get bored of things easily? You know, how do I feel like at the end of the day, it wasn't a wasted day? And from the perspective of somebody who's a leader, who's trying to encourage those qualities, you know, whether you're a West Point general or if you're a, um, you know, manager of a, of a small team in, in corporate America, or if you're a parent, I think the things that you have to do are, are very similar. I'll give you one specific example. I think the characteristics of cultures or situations that encourage persistence and intrinsic and enduring passion are twofold. One is that it needs to be a challenging climate. It has to be some place where excellence is valued and people are the opposite of complacent. And that goes, again, for families as well as uh, corporate cultures. It has to be the kind of place where people have standards that are high and that in some sense they're never reached. Um, nobody comes in uh, the next day and says, like, I'm done. You know, the work here is done. It's, you know, there's nothing else that we could do or that we could do better. And the second uh, major feature that goes along with that is support, or if you want to put it in the most frank terms, love. I think that in a family or a team or a company where people feel both challenged and yet unconditionally supported or loved, I think that's where qualities like grit really flourish. Yeah, that's such a great description. And, you know, there's just so much that goes into the science behind this that we can all use and apply. And I know there's four psychological assets that you talk about specifically in the book. And I believe there's interest, practice, purpose, and hope. Can you describe to us why, when you're talking about being gritty or developing grit, interest, practice, purpose, and hope, all four of those need to be there, those psychological assets. And why is it important that those four of all the descriptors you could have used really do you find is the reason that people are more gritty when they have those? Well, when I started writing the book, I think it forced me to actually get a little more organized than I had been previously about what I really was seeing across all the studies that I've done, but also the interviews that I've done of people who have inspired me because they are so passionate and so persevering about what they love to do. And when I looked at passion and all the data had been gathered and these conversations, I saw that there were really two components and you just named them. One is interest. I mean, these people are so curious and they don't wake up and say like, okay, I'm done. I'm done learning. They they want to know more and more. They say things like every football game is different to me. You know, every client meeting it's like a new experience. I'm always learning something. So interest to me seems to be a crucial element of passion. And the second is purpose, a, a sense that it's not just interesting, it's important and important to other people. And this, I have to say, I have not yet found the exception to this rule. I haven't found somebody who's a paragon of passion who can't tell me very succinctly how their work meets the lives of other people. And this goes for every kind of performer or achiever that I've studied, even those who have a kind of solitary 
craft, like, you know, a, a, like an athlete who's trying to win the gold medal, but they tell me about their teammates and their coach and their family and the sport. And so I think that um, other centered purpose is the, why I devoted a whole chapter to it. So those are the two precursors, I think, of passion. On perseverance, I noted in one study of spelling bee finalists that the ones who do the best are the ones who put in the most hours of deliberate practice, that really effortful, focused practice on your relative weaknesses, uh, that takes a lot of discipline to do. And so I devoted a chapter to practice. I know that a lot of your listeners have already heard of the 10,000 hour rule. Because I work with Anders Ericsson, who's the scientist behind that research, right. and, and others, I, I wanted to give, I guess, a very accurate and up-to-date precy on what that research really says. And then finally, uh, there's a chapter on hope because really at all stages of any endeavor, there are gonna be setbacks. And that's why the other uh, half of perseverance is is maintaining hope when many others lose hope. So I guess from what I'm hearing you say is that if any of those four are missing, and maybe you even experimented in your work in this book with others and they just didn't pan out to truly provide the same level or definition of grit as what you came to find that it really is in, in today's time. But we always have to have those four there. That's a great description of that. And I know you also, um, I believe I would just call it, you know, I would say it as effort counts twice in your equation. It's talent times effort equals skill. But then we've got to take it a step further. Skill times effort is going to go on to that achievement. So we can have lots of talent and not put forth the effort, or we can have lots of skill and not put forth the effort. But we have to have both of those in order to have achievement. Can you speak to that a little bit and your work behind it? Yeah, no, you did a really good job of it. And it's not easy to explain, really. I think you might also be seeing the math teacher in me. That's like algebra, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. hey, you can substitute in, and uh, that probably only appeals to me. But, you know, I, I've been thinking a lot about how people use the word talent. And I'll tell you that when I use the word talent, I mean how quickly somebody learns something, how easy it is for them to pick up new skill and to keep improving. And when I think of very talented kids that I've taught, I think, oh, that, that was a kid where, you know, he, he or she hardly needed much instruction or practice and they got so much better. But I think a lot of people, and I'm guessing a lot of your listeners, use the word talent differently. I think they use it much more broadly to mean like all the things that make somebody great. Correct. You know, right? That's probably how, is that how you use it? Yeah. Well, that's probably how I would have used it earlier in, uh, earlier in life, but I've come to learn the same thing, but I think people still do use it. And maybe I do get caught in that as well when I'm speaking to my financial advisors and coaching them and, and sometimes lumping it into the entire picture when really it shouldn't be. Well, you know, the should is an interesting question because I don't, I'm not in charge of the universe, uh, which is definitely a good thing, but I, <laughs> You know, I know that, you know, words are words and words are how people use them. I think it's only come uh, to me kind of lately that I've been using it in a slightly narrower sense. I don't think there's anything wrong with the way you're using it or others. But here's the one thing I do want to say. You know, we also have gifted and talented programs for little kids where you pick the high IQ kids. And that must mean like, oh, we think they have the potential. I just think that uh, this interview I read once with Will Smith really got it right. Will Smith said that people often confuse talent and skill. And he wanted to uh, impress upon the interviewer that skill you earn, as he put it, hours and hours of beating on your craft. And I do think there's something to be said about distinguishing between somebody's upside potential and what they've earned. And that earned skill, you know, like you pointed out in that equation, I don't think it comes automatically. I think no matter how talented you are, these skills are acquired. So I'm all for, you know, identifying your talents, the natural areas of strength for yourself. But I mean, I can say of myself, I'm a psychologist and a writer. 
I am probably pretty talented at those things. I mean, they weren't very hard for me. But every day, every day without exception, I try to become a better writer and a better psychologist. I work on one specific thing at a time. I get feedback. I would still be a mediocre psychologist and writer if it weren't for all that practice and effort. And I know you quote Will Smith. It's funny you mentioned that because I'd written down a few quotes that were my favorite ones that I thought maybe we would speak to here. But I know in that same chapter where you're talking about the talent and the effort and the skills and and all of that, I think you quote him a couple of times in that. And one of the main ones that I loved is where is I believe this is from him where he says, I've never really viewed myself as particularly talented where I excel is ridiculous, sickening work ethic. <laughs> I just love that quote. I mean, you would never guess that come from Will Smith unless it was you know, noted that way. But I just absolutely love that because what you're really saying there, I think, to make it clear for my listeners, if it's not already, is that we can have the talent or we can have the skills, but without the effort, we're not ever going to get to where we're trying to go as far as this thing out in front of us that we're trying to accomplish. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because when you start actually listening to what people like Will Smith say, I'm thinking about Beyonce, Tom Cruise. I mean, if you actually really look at what they say about their own achievement, they admit being very fortunate. They admit being lucky. They admit certain relationships that help them. Sometimes they admit to having talent. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But so often, you know, these people who are really at the top of the field, they know, I mean, they are there when all that hard work happens, not just the posted highlights on YouTube. So I had a wonderful occasion to meet Will Smith recently. I've been kind of stalking him my whole adult life because he's so <laughs> brilliant. No, he's and, awesome. He's uh, amazing. He's so amazing. Yeah. And I have to tell you that uh, grit is great, but so is grace. And, you know, he really, uh, I watched him deal with like everyone, you know, from celebrities like Margot Robbie to like the guy who was clearing away his water glass and he treated everybody the same. I mean, really, 201. And I think that's, you know, when the cameras aren't rolling, like that's when your character really shows. So oh, I absolutely. Will think that, yeah. So he's a gem, a true gentleman. And in our uh, most recent conversation, then, you know, this is actually after those interviews that you were quoting and so forth. You know, I, I asked him if he still believed what he said. And and he did. You know, I mean, I think he uh, he earns his accomplishments. And I worry about young adults, for example, and of course, kids, as you know, I've got a soft spot in my heart for children. I think that oftentimes they look at achievement from this very outside view, and they they assume that it's mostly luck and talent, or the way I'm using it, right? right? And And it is, it's so much more than that, right? So, you know, I hope this research just gives a more complete picture of what it takes to really be excellent at anything. That's great. And let's turn to parenting for a second, because that's definitely something I wanted to pick your brain about. And you mentioned it briefly just a few minutes ago in your description. But as a dad of three daughters, and I wouldn't consider myself especially warm. And that's definitely one thing that I know they need is that emotional warmth and, you know, that a father can sometimes give differently than even a mom can. But I know you go into this, the part in the book, a lot about this, where during your years of study, you talk about psychologically wise parents and wise parents are both warm and demanding, whereas authoritarian parents have high standards, but low warmth. I mean, it may seem obvious to some people why warmth and demanding could be the perfect combination. But tell me what your studies have found. And then what do those children later on become versus the author authoritarian parents or maybe neglectful parents even? 
so this taxonomy or this way of classifying parenting styles is a, a pretty solid and old, actually, research literature. So there's lots of papers on this. And, you know, there are these two dimensions of parenting. I mentioned challenge and support. But if you make a little graph, I mean, you can imagine like a little X, like a little, you know, horizontal and vertical. Which quadrant are you going to be in? Are you going to be high demanding and high warmth? That's being, a, I would call, a wise parent or it's sometimes called authoritative parent. And then you can kind of work your way around the other three quadrants. And I think what is often considered to be, um, I think it's I think it's incorrect. But I think what's often considered to be the best parenting style if you want to raise tough kids, gritty kids, is to be not in the top right with, you know, very warm and demanding, but just demanding and maybe not not very warm. Like maybe that's too soft an approach to develop a kid who's really kid, uh, you know, resilient and, and tough. I think that um, it's a little bit like Old Testament, New Testament. I mean, I, I think that in a way, the old NFL coaches, the old military leaders, you know, this idea that you like yell at people, you know, tell them that they're nothing. Um, and then, and then, you know, actually the current general of West Point, Robert Caslin, said that, that this is what was called an attrition model of leadership. You just give people the worst. And then those few people who survive are really tough. But he has a developmental model, which is in that top right hand. Quality. He's like, why can't I be just as demanding, but actually tell these guys that I really care about them and listen to them when they have problems and and make plans with them to help them get better rather than leaving it all entirely to their own uh, to figure out. And I think that's really what's ideal for any parent, any leader. You know, how can I, I think about this all the time. I'm not only a mom of two girls, they're 13 and 15, but I also, uh, with my colleague Donald Commence, you know, I run a nonprofit called Character Lab and we have 15 people in this organization and, and, and I'm not perfect, but I do think every day, you know, how can I be not just demanding, but also, you know, authentically warm. Right. What would you say to somebody who you, you mentioned Old Testament, New Testament? I love how you phrase that. If you've got somebody from just the older school of thought that says, you know what, we've gotten too soft, we've gotten too warm, people need to toughen up a little bit more. But yet they're a leader. They're our so-called leader, right? They're in a leadership position within their organization, or they are a dad or a mom or someone that's just finding it a little harder just in their wiring to find that warmth. How do you get someone coached toward teaching their children or teaching certain leaders, teaching coach the people that are underneath them and they're working alongside with them? How do they build in that warmth, that empathy and sympathy and all of the things that they're going to need to change that attitude and let go of that Old Testament thinking, as you mentioned, what is the first step that you would say is to somebody who just says, look, I'm gritty and I'm tough and I don't have time for people that are a little bit weak and can't pull their weight and all of that? Obviously, it's just going to hurt them if they're a leader in the long run or if they're trying to raise children a certain way. Where would you say the easiest place or the first place would be to start to frame their mind walking in a different direction starting now? Well, one thing is to just tell them that research does not support the idea that, you know, you have to be a mean person to get the best out of people. And in fact, all of the research that I know about points in the opposite direction, right? Then when people really feel like you care about them, they will work harder for you than if they think you're a total jerk or that you just don't have their best interests at heart, right? So so that's the one thing I'll say, look, there's a ton of evidence. And I can just say that as somebody who um, tried to contribute to that evidence, but also someone who sees the work of other scientists. Second thing I would say is, why don't you think to yourself, when are the moments in my own life that I have really been at my best, that I have been on top of my game, that I perform maybe even a little bit better than I thought was possible? 
My guess is that if we take a moment to introspect and we think, what were the situational, you know, what were the aspects of, of my circumstances then? You know, we'll remember that there was somebody there who was supporting us, not trying to tear us down. All I do in my life is I think about grit. And so even in my spare time, I'm like reading books about high achieving people and, and so forth. Uh, most recently, I watched a documentary about a restaurant in Chicago. Uh, it's now a three-star Michelin restaurant called Grace. And the the chef there had a had really terrible life. His father ended up murdering his mother and then killing himself. Uh, this is when he was just a boy. And as you might imagine, there were a lot of bad things that happened before that. Now, if you look at this chef, he's very successful. So you could say, oh, look, there is an example of somebody who where toughness made him tougher, right? Made him the person that he is. But then, you know, uh, very clearly, and it comes out, um, you know, if you don't cry in this thing, uh, you know, you don't have a heart. But this guy <laughs> was rescued by one warm person, and that was his home economics teacher who taught him how to cook and who showed him some semblance of security uh, and unconditional, you know, it's in therapy, it's sometimes called unconditional regard. You know, like you're okay. I'm not saying that your actions are always okay or that, but you as a person, are okay, you know, you'll always be okay, and, and I care about you. And I have to guess, and of course you can only guess, that had this chef not met that home economics teacher who became a mother to him, really, I mean, you know, on the opening day of his restaurant, she got the number one table. And, and it was very clear to me that, you know, this pattern is what exactly we see in our research, that people do not thrive when they don't feel like anyone cares about them. Uh, so if you're going to be that tough leader, think about your own self and when you've been led the best. And my guess is that you'll convince yourself that that really, you know, you do uh, bring out the best in people when you as a leader are exemplifying uh, character. I would want to ask just for myself and my listeners as well. I think they could get a lot out of this. Not so much. Well, I guess it could apply to grit as well. But just a little segue into this here. What would you say is the reason that most leaders that you come across today? And I know yours is mostly going to be in the study of psychology and behind grit and all of that. But you may have another answer as well as far as why leaders that have great potential, great potential out there, but are just missing the mark in one area or the or another, depending on what it is that their issue is and don't really help others rise up to become better than they should be, or they themselves find that they're not great leaders, where do you think most of our leaders today are missing the mark to really influence and grow and challenge people to become so much more than what they could have been under their influence? Well, I know what I know. I also know what I don't know. Uh, sometimes I know what I don't know. <laughs> right. And, and I think I we don't, could all say that. Right? Yeah. Sometimes you, you don't know what you don't know, but uh, then that's very dangerous. But one thing that I am not an expert in, but I think is very important to being a great leader is emotional intelligence, you know, being able to empathize, being able to recognize other people's emotions and your own. And um, that's not the same thing as grit. You can be a very gritty person who lacks emotional intelligence. And in fact, uh, that can be a very dangerous combination, right? High grit, low empathy for other people. So one of the things I, I guess, you know, that's for another show, I guess, where you have somebody who does study that. But I think, you know, anybody who wants to be a great leader has to be thinking about, um, you know, how other people are experiencing the situation. And, and sometimes I think it's hard for leaders to truly feel or understand how other people's perspectives, you know, the reality of their own experience. I remember this great quote from a novel. It's like, love is understanding that someone outside yourself is real. And um, I think that's actually very hard, you know, really appreciate that your way of thinking about it is not the only way. 
Right. I think we all struggle with that in society in general, but just as it comes down to different demographics and beliefs and thoughts and, you know, it's, it's hard. It's a tough, tough thing. And I've found, you know, once you get into true leadership, you're going to have a lot of different ways. And I used to stick with that. I would say, you know what, I'm going to be tough and hard charging. I need to make people tougher that are underneath me. And what I realized was I was only harming myself because everyone didn't think that way. And so I could continue to run my organization that way and not bring people to their full potential, or I could change and shift and come more middle line and realize, hey, if we're going to really grow and influence other leaders that can also rise up and help our organization, it's not all the way that I envision it or all the way that I've always thought about it. We may have to shift and change. So Angel, as we get ready to wrap up the podcast here, I would not uh, be doing any of us a favor without asking you, I guess, about where everything maybe, from what I can tell, really started. Your research in the power of grit really began back at West Point. You've mentioned that a couple of times as far as referring back to West Point. And I know that in your book, you talk about just their summer program there called Beast, if I remember correctly. And that's where really you started finding out maybe where some of your passions lie in this and some of your education around this that further became what we know as, you know, your great work in the book. Talk to us a little bit about what you learned there, the biggest lessons you've learned there, and how that really sums up the idea of grid and and what we're all striving for when it comes to being more gritty. I went to West Point in my, gosh, it must be my first or second year of graduate school. I was pretty wet behind the ears, but I knew something that I wanted to figure out would be ideal to look at in their first summer of training, and that is the question of why do people drop out of things that they have an initial real enthusiasm for and by any objective measure have the capacity to finish. And so that's that's what West Point is in its first summer. You have an elite group of, say, 12 or 1,300, depending on the year, young men and women. I mean, this is the cream of the cream of the cream of the crop. Uh, these are valedictorians. These are varsity athletes, typically three-letter varsity athletes, very often the captains of those teams. And, uh, you know, they're the president of the class. They're the prom queen or the king. So the question is, how are these incredibly able young men and women dropping out in the first summer of training for something that the process to get in was, you know, this is not a flippant decision to go to West Point, right? I mean, <laughs> sure. It's really like right. a two-year process, a congressional recommendation, you know, fitness tests and so forth. And not everyone drops out. In fact, most people stay in. Uh, it's a dropout rate that has actually come down a lot since I started West Point's research. I was there and I think about six or seven percent of the cadets dropped out that summer. Then uh, progressively, um, and most recently under the command of General Robert Caslin, who has this developmental approach, the attrition rates are at their lowest historical levels. What's going on? Well, I think we found, importantly, that GRIT predicted who would stay in. The grittier cadets do stay in through that first summer of training, and it's a better predictor than everything in the admissions record, including your SAT scores and your high school rank and your physical uh, talent, I guess, your physical aptitude based on things like the two-mile run. But you have to also explain, you know, what's going on about the reduction in these dropout rates over time. And I think that's uh, where you get to General Caslin's developmental approach. He believes that instead of weeding out the low-grit men and women, that he can uh, take this, you know, again, already elite group of people and um, he can enable each and every one of them, should they choose to be at West Point, you know, should that be something that they feel is the right decision for them, that he can bring out their best and that he can have them achieve the high standards that he's maintained there 
if anything, the graduation standards are harder, not easier. Um, if you compare them to when he was a cadet now 30 years ago, 35 years ago. So there's historical changes at West Point, which I've been witness to. And then also the primary finding, which really did set off um, uh, all of the other research that I do. And I think they're both important because the lesson for all of us is, uh, does passion and perseverance matter? I mean, does caring about something and sticking with it and, and working hard on it matter? Yes. But is there something we can do in our teams, in our companies, in our uh, culture, in our families that can encourage people to develop grit as opposed to simply weed out the low grit? Like, I think absolutely yes. So I asked a similar question earlier, but just to end our session here today, where do you feel like the study of grit and the things that we're going to see over the next handful of years with the science of grit and how people's minds are going to change? You know, it did Again, back to the Old Testament, New Testament it used to be a rough and tough. Everybody needs to just just uh, you know get a little bit tougher, and that's how we're going to build leaders and strong people. And people are just realizing that's not that's not a sign of the times today. Where do you see this going over the next twenty, thirty years? I know that's hard to maybe hard to look at that far out, but uh, do you have some premonition of where that might be heading? I do. I think that uh, it's going to happen in a positive way. So I I have a very very rosy forecast for the 21st century and what we'll discover about human potential and how we can more intentionally move towards our potential. It doesn't have to be accidental or just lucky that some, you know, some people figure out some tricks, others don't. Uh, why do I have that confidence? I think the world is becoming much more interdisciplinary and my own work has been tremendously enriched by working much more closely with educators than I did at the beginning of my career. So so with my colleague Don, who's a veteran educator, I'm sitting on one side with the scientific method and my training and statistics and so forth. He's sitting on the other side with decades of experience with kids in the classroom. Together we can come up with things that are just better than either of us alone. So that interdisciplinary, uh, the combination of our perspectives. And I would say, adding to that, you know, now for the first time in history, you have people who are not only crossing over in the way that Donald and I are, but also, you know, the creative arts and, and technology and design. You know, what if the people who designed Snapchat were talking to behavioral scientists at MIT who were also talking to fifth grade teachers and football coaches, and they're all trying to solve the question of human potential and how to maximize it. To me, you know, that's what's going to happen in the 21st century. And because of that, the 21st century could be a much better century than the 20th century. That is great. And I think, you know, that's just such a, a well laid out thought as far as, you know, why why aren't everyone, why isn't everyone collaborating together on that? I think it's just all the noise. It's maybe lack of education, but then also just all the noise that's out there that keeps everybody kind of in their bubble doing what they're doing and, and not, you know, educating across different sections like that. That is so good. Angela, thank you so much for your time here today. I certainly want to steer our listeners your way. I know obviously your main platform is AngelaDuckworth.com where everyone can go there and buy the book and even take your grit scale which I actually did not score as gritty several months ago whenever I took it. I was a little bit humbled by that. I thought, man, I'm a real gritty person. I think I actually scored a little bit lower than I thought I would on that. So I thought, wow, that's a telling sign there. But also just about you and your research. Where else can we steer our listeners to find out more about you and the world of social media and online? Thank you so much. Um, I do tweet, probably not as often as I should, and also characterlab.org. That's the organization to which I'm devoting the rest of my life. It is a nonprofit that is dedicated to advancing the science and also the practice of character strengths like grit. Everything that we write, everything that we develop, every intervention, every video, it's all there and it's all free. 
That is great. Well, we certainly appreciate your efforts into helping us all be more gritty, especially from the uh, you know the K through twelve education level on up through adults. And uh, we're just all going to be so much better for people like you that are going and devoting their life to research like that. Certainly appreciate your time here today, and uh, we wish you the best going forward. Thank you so much. It's been a genuine pleasure. Hey, guys, I loved having Angela on the show today to teach us more about grit, as you heard there in our conversation, and head on over to the show notes to take her grit scale test and even get the link for her number one selling book, Grit, The Power of Passion and Perseverance. If you guys would like to connect directly with me or my team, please send an email to info at success101podcast.com, or you can catch me on a couple of different social platforms out there on Facebook and Instagram under the name at success101podcast or on Twitter at Warren Jared. Again, if you want to pick up a copy of my book, From Success to Significance, please shoot my team an email at info at success101podcast or head on over to the website and fill out the form in order to request your own copy at success101podcast.com forward slash contact and my team will get a copy right out to you. I look forward to the new year coming up and hearing more stories about what you guys are going to do in order to maximize the year and reach your full levels of peak potential. And I'll catch you guys on the next episode of The Success 101 Podcast. Until then.